Thanks for joining us for our Good Friday observance. This event completes the last week of Jesus' life on earth, and it completes his mission of peace that began 33 years earlier. You remember what the angels declared when he was born in Bethlehem. Peace on earth to those upon whom his favor rests. On Palm Sunday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a colt, commemorating that mission of peace. On Monday, he cleansed the temple and preserved its mission of peace to the nations and established himself and his gospel the fulfillment of the purpose of the temple. On Tuesday, he taught a series of parables, establishing that the rule of law and the hierarchy of the law was over. And he established his rule among a people committed to the gospel of peace. On Wednesday, he affirmed the selfless worship of a woman who anointed his body for burial, contrasting the betrayal of Jesus, who wanted Jesus, but on his terms. On Thursday, he replaced the Passover memorial feast with his own memorial feast that proclaimed his gospel of peace. And now on Friday, at his crucifixion, peace with God is accomplished and peace with God is offered to all who believe and who receive his gift of forgiveness by grace through faith. Friday of this week is often titled Good Friday. But how could a day when such a horrible and violent death of the perfect Son of God ever be called good? Well, because through the cross, the mission of Jesus was accomplished. And through the cross, those who believe, those who repent, those who confess their sins, those who receive his gift of eternal life by faith are justified by faith and have peace with God through his work on the cross. So the most evil day in history became the day of God's greatest good. So we call it Good Friday, the day where the work of Jesus is finished. Nothing more is required. We need only trust in what he did. Let's survey the events that when put together help us understand how the mission of peace is accomplished. Beginning in the Garden of Gethsemane, after the Last Supper, Jesus and the eleven disciples with him went out into the garden. Verse 36 of Matthew 26. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. 
Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and prayed. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Here we observe the humanity of Jesus. He was overwhelmed with sorrow and grief to the point of death. Now that's a lot of sorrow. That's a lot of grief. In order for Jesus to die for mankind, he had to be a man and experience this human grief. He was fully man with emotions and weaknesses and human limitations. Jesus was born of Mary. He had her DNA, probably looked like her, probably had some of her mannerisms. And in that humanity, with all of his human nature, he dreaded the cross. Yet he had a mission of peace to accomplish. Yet not my will, but thine be done. He did this three times, praying to the Father, coming back to the disciples, praying to the Father, coming back to the disciples. Oh, Jesus was disappointed by his disciples, betrayed by one of his closest inner circle, seeing those who were supposed to support him and help him sleep while he went through his time of deepest trial the disappointment, the betrayal, the weight of of loss and being alone, humanly speaking, could not have been greater. Well, then the silence of the night was interrupted. While they were in the garden, Judas and a band of people with swords and clubs burst into the garden. He could have called he could have called a legion of angels to come to his aid. And Peter, he took a sword and struck one of the servants and cut off his ear, and Jesus said, No, I have a mission to complete. And he healed that servant's ear. And then he was arrested and taken before the Jewish court. He was before the high priests. He was before the Jewish leaders called the Sanhedrin. And he was questioned. But he gave no defense. Questioned again. Questioned again. Silent. Until finally he said, I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. That doesn't sound to me like a defeated king. That sounds like one who knows of his ultimate victory. But yet, his mission was still not complete. He was taken before Pilate, verses 11 to 26. And when the governor examined Jesus, he found nothing worthy of crucifixion. So Pilate brought out Barabbas, a convicted criminal whose crimes were worthy of crucifixion. 
You know, when I read this part of the story, I find myself in the shoes of Barabbas, deserving the death penalty because of my sins and standing totally broken before Jesus, who committed no sins. So when Pilate gave the crowd Barabbas and crucified Jesus, Jesus literally took the place of Barabbas, just like he took the place of you and me. This is the mission of peace Jesus came to accomplish, to pay the penalty of death all of us deserved. And then in chapter 27, we see the crucifixion. Here in Matthew, notice reference to the other events of Jesus last week. In verse 37, notice the sign nailed above Jesus' cross. This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Does that remind you of the triumphal entry? The mocking people, verse 41. Who are you? Who you are you going to destroy the temple to rebuild it in three days? Come down from the cross. Reminding us of the cleansing of the temple. The mocking from the chief priests and the teachers of the law, verse 43. He said, I am the son of God. Remember the parable of the talents? The owner of the vineyard is God. The son whom the tenants killed is Jesus. And then finally, look at chapter 27, verse 55. Many of the women were there, watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Included in this group is the woman who anointed Jesus' body in preparation for his burial. You see, according to Mark 15.25, it was 9 o'clock in the morning when they nailed Jesus to the cross. And here's how they did it. They would take the victim, in this case Jesus, who was barely recognizable. In fact, Isaiah 53 says that you couldn't recognize him. His body was so bruised and emaciated and his skin was so ripped and was full of blood, you couldn't even see, recognize him. And they laid him on the cross and spread out his arms and put nails through his wrists. And they nailed his feet to the cross. And then they lifted up the cross and placed it in the hole with a thud. And Jesus' bones came out of joint. Psalm 22 tells us. I don't think one could suffer more than Jesus did. Emotionally deserted by his closest friends. The injustice of being accused of crimes that he never committed. When he was down, the cross was kicking him, hurling insults at him, lonesome, exposed on the cross. And then at 12 o'clock noon, a darkness covered the earth. A thick darkness that wrapped the light of the world in the wrath of God. And for three hours, Jesus bore our sins in his body. 
His physical agony was immense. But his spiritual agony was a thousand times greater until he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In those moments, Jesus was literally God forsaken. No, Jesus and the Father were not separated as if the triune God was ripped apart. Jesus still prayed, and the Father heard him. And Jesus still called the Father, my God. Yet, it's as if the Father and the Son were together, next to each other, and the Father turned away from the Son and allowed the full weight of his wrath to rest upon him for one hour, two hours, three hours. This is the climax of our atonement. Finally, at three o'clock, to complete the transaction, Jesus gave up his spirit and died. Verse 50. And immediately, the curtain in the temple that separated the people from the chamber that stood for the presence of God is torn in two from the top to the bottom, ensuring that no one could say a man tore it from the bottom up. No, God tore it from the top to the bottom. Mission accomplished. John Stott, author of the classic study, The Cross of Christ, draws three applications. One, our sin must be extremely horrible. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit took extraordinary care to arrange the perfect execution of the perfect plan to deal with our sin, which included the satisfaction of God's holy wrath against the gangrene of human rebellion. Every detail from Jesus' birth, his life, and his death carefully fulfilled prophecy. And then the suffering and death of the God-man. The suffering of a man so he could be the substitute for humankind. The suffering of God in order to be a sufficient sacrifice to satisfy a holy God. John Stott writes, it's impossible to face the cross with integrity and not feel ashamed of ourselves. Ashamed of ourselves. But when we do, we are compelled to respond in repentance and faith. Two, John Stott writes, God's love must be wonderful beyond comp- comprehension. <laughs> you 
The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 that the height and depth and width and length of God, his love for us is, is beyond our understanding. Yes, it is. The hymn writer says this, Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above (laughs) would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky. Oh, the love of God. Brothers and sisters, do you see the love of God in the cross? Oh, how he loves you and me. And thirdly, John Stott writes this. Salvation must be a free gift. Because there's nothing more to do. What more can be done than that which has already been done by the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit working together to complete the mission? All we can do is respond in repentance and faith. All we can do is confess that we are sinners and deserve the wrath that Jesus took for us. All we can do is receive his grace, confessing our sins, believing that Jesus went to the cross for us. Is that you tonight? Join with me in prayer. Father in heaven, as we look at the cross, we're overwhelmed at the depth of our sin, at the extraordinary, extraordinary abundance of your love. And we can exclaim there's nothing more to do but to receive you, to say thank you. So, Lord, we confess that we are sinners and we turn from them. We acknowledge that the cross paid the penalty for my sin, for our sin. And we receive the gift of God, the grace that we receive by faith through the work of Christ on the cross. The mission of peace is accomplished. There's nothing more for us to do but to bask and enjoy the love of God, the love of God. Oh, the depths of the deep, deep love of God. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's conclude our time tonight as Cammie shares with us a beautiful song talking about the love of God. How deep the Father
His wounds have paid my rent.